0: What's going on, coaches? Um, glad to be back talking to you guys again uh, for the second podcast episode of the week. Uh, you need anything from us, go check us out at runthepower.com. You can find videos. Uh, you can find, obviously, our podcasts over there. Uh, Premium now has, uh, I think, six series that you guys can go look at if you're a Premium member. Uh, go check that out if you haven't already. Uh, Standard members can look at previews of all of our videos uh, and so we're we're really loving that. We've had now two coaches come in through the dojo. We'll have one more for this month, uh, and we're signing guys up for next month. So um, hit us up if you want to be a part of that. Or uh, we just got done consulting last month. So uh, if, if that's something that you're looking to do and, and add to your offense, hit us up on that as well, and, and uh, we'd love to help you guys out. So um, hopefully you guys can get a hold of us uh, at any time that you need us uh, over at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, TeamBuilder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R, dot com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Corby Millison. Coach Millison is the head coach at Emporia High School in Emporia, Kansas. Listen as we talk with Coach Millison about his program at Emporia how he hires and develops coaches, and how he has changed and developed himself over the past several years as a coach. You can follow Coach Millicent on Twitter at Coach Millicent. Hope you guys enjoy.
1: Playing, you know, my football journey uh, started in uh, Salina, Kansas. You know, that's where uh, Coach Moody, who was on the podcast earlier, and I have a little background. Uh, Salina in the 90s was kind of a, a hotbed for football in Central Kansas with uh, Marvin Diener and the Salina Central legacy that he had and then as Coach Stonebreaker at South. Um, didn't get to play at Central. We ended up moving right before. My freshman year uh, to a place called Lindsburg just south of uh, Salina, and played for uh, Gary Sanbo at uh, Smoky Valley. Little did I know they had just won a state championship. Uh, my eighth grade year, going into my high school year as a freshman, and got to play for a, a tremendous coach. Uh, lost five football games in high school. Uh, lost Jeez. the state champion Yeah, we were. It was it was a three A school at the time, four A by the time I had graduated. Uh, but I had tremendous coaching uh, during that time and had some great friends and, and played, you know, a lot of good football. And then ended up going to Bethany college, which is right there in Lindsberg uh, for one year. And uh, I, I didn't get the college experience that I wanted uh, coming out of high school. I'd been invited to walk on at Kansas state and KU and uh, my brain got my pride got in the way of my brain i should have took the walk on bethany was way more expensive than kansas state and uh ended up transferring to kansas state anyway as a sophomore and finished out there Uh, and that was in the mid-90s graduated from kansas state in 1998 Hmm. Uh, it was a great time to be at kansas state at the time you, you know kansas state lost in the uh, Big 12 championship, Texas A&M. They were the number one team in the nation. It was a tremendous time to be a Wildcat. Uh, transfer- from there, after graduation, I moved to Wichita. I had just gotten married. My wife and I uh, moved to Wichita where I had a job teaching at Wichita South High School, which is a 6A school there in Wichita. There's nine comprehensive schools in Wichita. And uh, got on as a freshman coach uh, at the end of that year. That coach had Mark Cotton had resigned. They were in the middle of a 36 game losing streak. Jeez. And he didn't, yeah, it was tough. It was a tough, it was a hard <laughs> school. I mean, great kids, great sure. kids, hard kids, tough kids, uh, lower income kids. I uh, loved every minute of teaching there. I taught there for seven years. Uh, but Mark resigned and uh, another coach took over, and he and I probably didn't see eye to eye on multiple things for a while. So I, I took a job coaching at uh, Clearwater, which is a 3A school close to Wichita, and was still teaching at South. So I did that for, oh, a couple of years. I was freshman coach and then became the offensive coordinator and then uh, came back to Wichita South as a defensive coordinator for a year. And then the, the coach I replaced, Mark, decided to leave and I ended up being the head coach at the age of, I believe I was 28, 29, way too young to be a head coach. Thought I was ready, thought I knew everything, ready to, you know, grab the world by the tail. And uh, quickly, very, very quickly in the Wichita City League, I found out I didn't know a whole lot. Uh, Great coaches in that that league and did that for three years and figured, uh, hey, you know, Corby, you better get on a staff where you're going to be able to be mentored a little bit. Go figure out what you really like to do and have some fun. So I, tra- I, I took a job at Wichita Northwest, and uh, Western Sharks brought me in as the uh, offensive coordinator and assistant head coach, and we had lots of toys to play with. We had a kid that was a Division Two national uh, hurdle champion. He was an All-American as a freshman. A kid that went to Oregon was one, one of only uh, a couple guys to run, catch, and throw for a touchdown, and he did that as a freshman. I uh, ended up transferring to Kansas State. It was Chris Harper, who was a third-round draft pick by the, by the Seattle Seahawks. We had a tough, tough time coaching him. He was hard, you know, coaching all that talent.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> great kid, great kid. And Demarcus Robinson is the running back we had at the time. So we had a lot of kids that were really, really good. Spent, I think, six years at Northwest, and we made the playoffs six consecutive years. Had a great run. And then uh, Coach Shartz decided he wanted to go to Wichita West High, where he kind of started his career and rebuild that program. And I thought he was nuts. And I guess I was just nutty enough to go with him. You know, Mark Marinelli joined uh, uh, Wichita Northwest with uh, Coach Martin and they're really good friends of mine. But I went to West and we turned that program around in two years and uh, at the end of that second year, Emporia High was looking for a coach, and I felt like we I was a good fit, and so did they, and so here we are uh, six years later as the head coach at Emporia High School.
0: Well, Coach, I've got, you know, I've got a whole, I kind of keep a notebook and write down some things. I've got a lot down uh, to ask you about, but, um, you know, kind of first thing, like you said, uh, you got to be around Kansas State when when uh, it was kind of in its heyday, and I think it's kind of hopefully making that return right now. But uh, they let our staff go up to Kansas State and and get to talk with those coaches, you know, because they were all from North Dakota State. Uh, So so we wanted to talk about their offense. Uh, and, And they kind of, even for me, you know, I didn't even know about some of the traditioned uh, years that they had had at Kansas State. And, they were, you know, they were making a big point of, hey, we just need to make sure everyone understands this. And some of these younger kids don't remember this, but Kansas State had some uh, some great, great years. What did you maybe learn uh, while you were there uh, that has helped you? Or what are some big things you think maybe that stood out to you?
1: Well, a lot of my friends uh, played at Kansas State. My brother-in-law played at Kansas State, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, being around the program, being around those guys, hearing about the 16 Wildcat goals for success, and, and the way he, that Coach Schneider ran the program uh, always kind of reflected in the players and in the way they played. They were always really disciplined. Um, big takeaways that I had from when we were in, at K-State in the 90s was watching the, the, the scheme evolve. When uh, Chad May was there in the early days, they were slinging the ball all over America. And then by the time um, I graduated, they had gotten back into the I formation with Michael Bishop and Darren Sproles and some of those guys. And they're running off tackle power and they're running speed option, a little bit of veer here and there, and uh, really getting after people and being physical. And it was a lot of fun to go watch, you know, the things that they really wanted to be good at. We tried to carry over into Emporia. We want to be really, really good on defense. We want to be great in special teams and then score just enough points to win. And uh, if we felt like if we could have done that, then we've, we've achieved what we've done. So that, that was really my takeaway from my days at Kansas State and being around the guys. Uh, just watching the way they prepared was really kind of the hallmark of, of Kansas State football because they weren't going to get the five-star guys. Sure. You know, Darren, Darren Sproles was a great player but there wasn't too many guys going after, you know, a five foot six running back. Uh, <laughs> no, they were not. Regardless, yeah. Regardless how fast he was and Bishop, you know, the stories on Mike Bishop were that he had a cannon for an arm, but he's lucky if he breaks five eleven on the tape measure. Mm. And there's not a lot of division one quarterbacks that are, are, you know, that stature, right. Uh, you know, to just tremendous defense and the physicality they played with is is what I always took away.
0: Well, coach. So, so then, kind of, my other thing was, like you said, you, you took over as a as a head coach at a relatively young age, you know, around twenty eight, twenty nine. Um, what was there any thought in your mind, like, hey, maybe I'm not ready for this, or, or was there ever any kind of interior wrestling with yourself, like, do I want to be a head coach, or, or is this something that that it's time for, or were you just like, hey, I've been wanting to be a head coach. This is my first opportunity. Hey, let's go. Uh, what do you think? Maybe you'd have done differently, or, or Looking back on it, what are you, you know, what are your thoughts on taking that at such a young
1: age? Wow, hindsight twenty twenty. I, sure. I play this game all the time. Uh, you know, Wichita South at that time had won, shoot, I think four games, maybe five games in the previous uh, ten or fifteen years, something like that. Not much. So it was, it was a pretty beat down program. Although there were some really good coaches that had come through. I wanted to be a head coach. I knew right off the bat from the day I graduated college, I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to not for the glory or anything like that, but I wanted to be able to shape young men and and make an impact and try to do things what I felt was the right way. And I made a whole lot of mistakes in that period. And what I felt was the right way turned out to be kind of probably the wrong way to do things. Uh, Had I had the opportunity to do it all again, I probably should have went ahead and got in touch with some of the other coaches in the league uh, when there were South was open and tried to get on a program that was established at the time, you know, I thought, boy, I know it all. And, uh, I the, the the veteran coaches in the city league, Alan Shuckman and Rick Wheeler, boy, they showed me in a hurry that son, you might be the head coach, but you're not there yet. And, uh, It was a real eye-opener at the age of 29 years old. There were a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of times where I didn't know if I were doing the right thing. And and, uh, when I resigned that position, true story, at the banquet, I cried like a baby. I cry anyway. My players will tell you that. He cries all the time. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I care about the kids, and I'm not going to be ashamed to to show it. But they – you know, I didn't want to quit. I didn't want to go on. But I felt like at the time, we had a new administration team that had come in, and I felt like it, we just weren't clicking and it wasn't going to be a good fit, and I needed to move on. It, wasn't gonna, it was not going to be toxic if I stayed. Sure. So, and it was hard. I, I felt like if we give it more time, give it more time, we'd win. Well, three years later, the freshman class that I helped bring in, uh, Tony Johnson takes them to their first playoff game. Huh. And I'm thinking, geez, had I just hung on, I could have been that guy. <laughs> You know, and and I could have helped set that tradition and help um, do some of those things. And in a way, maybe I did. Um, But at the time, you know, it was the best thing. I had two young kids. Uh, My daughter at the time was in kindergarten and a newborn son. And the stress was really starting to take its toll on my wife. You know, my wife, I wouldn't want to sit with my wife in the football stand. She's as big a football (laughs) fan as it gets. And she... (laughs) She was probably ready to fight at the drop of a hat if you say something cross about the kids or her husband. <laughs> so it was a—it uh, was probably the best thing in the world for us to do at that time was to move on. And, and you know, looking back, I don't regret being the head coach, and I certainly don't regret going to Wichita Northwest. I absolutely love my time in that program.
0: So what did you try to do, or, or maybe even in hindsight, like you said, it's 2020, what kind of – what things would you uh, tell a coach that – is coming into a program that you know let alone all the other situations they've only won you know five games over the last 10 years they're they're used to winning one game a year you know let's just say they're used to winning one game a year you know I would assume some of the biggest the biggest hurdle is to get them to feel like they don't just lose football games all the time Uh, so what did you try to do or, or what kind of um what advice would you give a head coach going into a situation like that what needs to be done maybe even before uh some of the x's and o's happen at a place like that
1: i think you got to get the kids to believe and to buy in and to keep the main thing the main thing you know at that time i felt like you know i had all the answers to turn that program around and uh i micromanaged i didn't let my assistants you know, play to their abilities uh, I probably at the time honestly didn't know what my assistant's abilities were. I was going to tell them what their abilities were. Um, and I, had I done that and and played a little bit more to the kids' abilities as well, I think everybody would have been happier. And uh, we probably certainly would have won more than the six games that we did during my time there.
0: So is that something that now as, as a head coach that, you, that you've looked to kind of rectify uh, from that first time? I mean, is that something that you, you know, when you're deciding, hey, I want to come be a head coach again, is that something that you kind of write those things down or think about those things that that maybe didn't go well for you and and you kind of make a a certain thought in your head like, hey, I want to make sure we do this because I didn't do that my first go around?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, my wife and I talked and we decided that we were going to take the job in Emporia and go – uh, the first thing I told her is we're going to do this thing together because I, I did isolate my wife at, at 30 years old. She was more or less a single parent with two kids. And, you know, I was chasing my dream and, and you know, be damned whoever stood in our way. Uh, so we've tried to make this as much a family affair uh, as we could. You know, we bring the kids down out of the stands onto the field, win or lose. Uh, our parent, and that's all of our student body uh all of our parents come onto the field win or lose and we group up in the end zone and uh we try to make it hey this is us we are Spartan football this is what we do and we're gonna you know win with uh some grace and lose with humility and uh try to bring some pride to our, our team. Um, I'm sorry I, I got a little bit sidetracked there repeat that what was the second part?
0: No, yeah, just, I mean, is that like a like you said, is it a checklist that you're going through and, and saying, hey, I know I didn't do a good job of this, and, and you had said kind of your first thing was uh, that you had uh, isolated your wife, and so you wanted to make it more of a family, um, you know, atmosphere with, with I would assume, coaches and with the whole student body. Uh, were there anything else that you – any other things that, that you looked at and were like, man, I, I should have done – like I would assume you mentioned – um, not giving your your uh, coordinators, your assistant coaches enough ownership. Um, I would assume that's kind of a personality trait of yours. It is of mine, anyways. That's why I'm always scared to to go and make that leap. Ever is because I I, I know I like to micromanage, and I know almost all the best head coaches, you know, let their they hire good good staff, and they let their staff do their thing. Um, is that something that you had to consciously go into? Uh, as a a head coach again and say, hey, I'm going to let my coaches coach?
1: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. That's the first thing I had to do. You know, in Wichita, if you you take a job, you can pretty much take your staff with you. When you leave and you move 90 miles away, it's hard to bring your staff or bring guys with you. So the staff was kind of already in place. I got to interview everybody, and uh, I kept a bunch of them. There were a couple that I didn't. Uh, but the ones that I kept were excellent coaches. You know, the guys that are my co-defensive coordinators are track coaches, our head track coach, who's also our head strength coach, Randy Wells and, uh, Jay Adkins. And, uh, I give them total autonomy in what they do on the defense. And that has been the hardest thing for me to do. And I also have a special teams coordinator and he's in charge of all the specials, um, Now I I visit with them. I, I like right now, our off season meetings are about uh, the kids coming back, what their abilities are, what we think we can run and what we think we can do. And I I give my, my two cents. I say, Hey, you know, we're in a four, two, five base. Maybe we got three, three personnel. Maybe we have three, four personnel. I, I don't know what we have, but I know that we don't have as much sizes in the past and they take that in. And as we look at clinics and, and kids, we look to see what kind of changes we got to make. But at the end of the day, if they say, Coach Melson, this is what we feel strongly is going to be our best opportunity to put these young men in a position to win and be successful, then I ride with that. Uh, we do the same thing in the meetings in the fall. Uh, I totally we, – we meet – coordinators meet on Saturday briefly. We watch film. And then Sundays the, the full staff meets. Um, and I don't go to the defensive meeting room at all. I stay out of it. I will meet with the offensive staff, and then before I leave, I walk into the defensive meeting room and say, okay, brief me. What are we going to do? How are we going to take care of this player or that player? Uh, what are their five best run plays out of their best formations? Who do we got to stop to win? And, and they break it all down for me, and I tell them what I like and what I don't like, and then I stay out of the way. And, uh, you know, we only gave up 19 points a game this year, uh, scored about 30 on average, and it was the best thing for our teams. I I just had to learn to trust them, and are yeah. uh, you know, one of them's getting ready to retire next year, and that absolutely terrifies me. <laughs> because now I now I got to learn somebody else's personality. I got to learn what they do, right? And, uh, you know, and it's hard for me to trust. It is. It's it's a character flaw of mine, and I've come a long way on it, but I got a long ways to go.
0: So let's say they, they've, they've talked and you guys have all talked and they decided it was, um, you know, the, with your personnel, your best, your best defense is a 3-4, what, whatever. You know, let's just say 3-4. Uh, but you as a head coach uh, are, are, you know, you were a defense coordinator, like you said. What, what were you guys uh, when you were a defensive coordinator?
1: Well, what's crazy is the year that I was the defensive coordinator, we went into the season, uh, Coach Cranda had said, hey, we're going to run a 5-3. I said, okay, great. And he gives me his college playbook, and he says, learn this defense. We're going to run this. So, okay, great. We go into the first three games, and we're just getting slapped around. He goes, run whatever you want. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, crap. Now what do we do? So, you know, I, I try not to be that guy. Right. Uh, you know, when they say, hey, we're going to run a 3-4, my questions then become, all right, who's playing what position?" Where, where do we have Johnny? Where do we have Joey? Where, where, who's our dude? And how are we going to let the dude make plays?
0: I got you. So, yeah. so w- what if, like, you know, like, if, like you said, what if you're comfortable with a 5-3? They say you're 3-4. Is that something that at all you go and, and research on your own so, so you know a little bit more about that? Or once they say that, like you said, you just go straight to, okay, well, how do we get our best players in the right
1: position to make, the best impact yeah my question's become okay this is the front that's terrific now how do we marry up the secondary (laughs) you know how what what coverages are we playing behind it uh if we're pressuring what's our pressure package how are, are we simulating pressure how are we getting you know some game plan adjustments going on and then ultimately sell me on this is the best thing for our guys period
2: Coach, I was going to ask you. You know, uh, sitting here listening to a couple of things and and uh, love love all of, of what you got going on. Um, the personnel meetings. Um, to me, that was always one of the fascinating things. Um, I I did a poor job of it too when when I was a head coach, um, and I, I think you know I hear a lot of the same things. I, I didn't trust guys as much as well, especially when I was a younger coach. And then when I when I got to Jenks and worked with the guy. Uh, Alan Trimble, I mean, personnel meetings were like his thing. So he had a, uh, his style was we're going to basically rank our top 30 guys. And then we'd kind of decide things from there, you know, where they play, which side of the ball they go to, things like that. But uh, I'm interested to hear, you know, how you meet with your guys and how you kind of rank it. And then what's like the pecking order? Does does the offense get first pick of guys? Are there certain positions where guys can listen to? Because everybody seems to have kind of a
1: different way to do it. Oh, yeah, I agree. You know, everybody's got their own way to do those things. In a perfect world, we'd, we'd pull pl- two platoon. By the way, at Jinx, man, how, how lucky were you to be with Alan Trimble?
2: Right? Uh, it was. Oh. It literally literally was, was unbelievable, especially the first year when I didn't have to teach. So it was literally working with Dub Maddox the whole year and then working with Alan Trimble the whole year. It was literally the, all the education I needed. I loved it.
1: Yeah, it's a rough life you live. I know. (laughs) Yeah, going back to the question, we we do meet like that, you know, uh, the same thing that you described with Trimble, we do. Uh, Offensively, I've had a a meeting with our middle school coaches. We're lucky enough, we have one feeder school, and uh, they're implementing some of the things that we do offensively and defensively, and so we kind of gave them the basic outline on what we think we're going to run next year, and uh, just exactly what you said, you know, in a perfect world, we'd pull two platoon. We haven't been able to do that since I got there. We've got some great kids that give us everything they got, but our best guy, there's a big, big difference for us between our ones and our twos and our twos to our threes. So we've got to be smart. And when we sub kids and I always tell the defensive staff, we're going to sub them on offense. We can hide a kid here or, you know, scheme away that we can get a kid on the field that can get another guy a breather. Um, But Friday's meeting, we're going to the Kansas city Glacier on Friday as a staff and Friday night, We'll sit down and do that exact same thing. Here's our 30 best players. Get them on the field. Where do they play? we got to have our 30 best guys on the field. To me, if you're one of your best players, you know, if if you've got five linebackers and your fifth linebacker is better than your first two defensive ends, well, it makes sense to me. That kid's now got to become a defensive end. Get the players on the field and let them make plays.
2: I, I always love to, I mean, just the back and forth between coaches. And not only that, I mean, you know, all of us see things differently and interpret things differently. You know, how someone might think, you know, a, a kid might be a bad apple. This kid's hard to coach. Well, all of a sudden another coach might be like, hey, I got a great relationship with him. I'm able to get him to do this, this, and this. I think he can help us in, in this spot. And, and you really kind of find, again, you know, oh, man, I guess I never really looked at it that way, too. You get in all those different points of view. So I guess the, the other thing I was going to ask you about personnel, you know, and, and you talked about Bill Snyder in the 90s. I mean, that guy lived in the junior colleges in Kansas. And, and let's be honest, I mean, a lot of teams that go and, and chase some of the, quote, junior college kids, you're probably not getting some of the better, you know, citizens of our country. You know, they're usually there for a reason, whether they didn't go to class or whatever the thing might be. But he always found a way to, to win and be disciplined with them. So my question was going to be, you know, how do you kind of handle some of those maybe you know on the edge problem kids or kids that you know might not be walking it on the side that we all want to have them walking it on, but at the same time we know that we can help those kids.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we we've got those kids too. We're not immune to it. We're a smaller community, even though you know we've got twelve, thirteen hundred kids. Um, but I'm pretty fortunate that I've gotten to be able to. It's all about relationships to me. You know, do you truly know the kid? Do you know the parent's first name? Even uh, you see him at Walmart? Are they going to say hi to you? Those types of things. You know, we've got it. we have those discussions with our staff. Uh, little Joey's not going to play defensive back for me because he's an absolute turd that won't listen. Well, that's great, D-back coach, but little Joey also runs a 22-mile-an-hour flying 10. Um <laughs> He's going to be on the field whether you like it or not. It's, it's going to happen. So find a way to coexist. You know, you don't have to like what he does. You don't have to like his personality, but you do got to coach him because at the end of the day, we can't go get those junior college kids. You know, we, we've got what walks through our door. I made this joke when I took the job at Emporia uh, that we don't get Christmas presents with kids transferring in and out at semester. And I don't get graduation gifts. I got what walks through the door and uh, some days it's really, really good. And some days it's terrifying. So <laughs> you got, what you got is, you know, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right?
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. Coach, I, I'm kind of curious, how do you go about that ranking uh, process? Uh, we've, we've done that at times and, and um, I, I think we, we stole it a little bit from Trimble, but you know, I think the way we've done it in the past and it's been a few years now, but is kind of each coach goes through and ranks his, I want to say, top 10 or 15 uh, individually, and then, you know, the head coach goes around, okay, to each of our coaches, what, who'd you have at number one? Who'd you have at number one? You know, and that was, you know, kind of put everyone on the spot and, and showed and made, made you kind of show your hand. How do you guys go about ranking your one through 30 or your one through however many you guys go through and, and find of your top uh, athletes?
1: Well, I think we look at it, uh, from my standpoint, I look at a couple things. One, can the kid run? Uh, if he can run, he's probably strong on top of it. You know, the old Tony Holler uh, theory is you can't be weak and not be fast. So, you know, I look at that, and, and if kid can run, if he's strong and he has a great work ethic, you know, we're cooking with gas. Um, so I look at, is he an athlete? If they're an athlete, they go on one side of the board. You know, if they're playing multiple sports, if they're you, everybody knows who their best athletes are and everybody knows whose kids, the kids of theirs that they have that are getting there, but not quite there yet. So we try to put them all on one half the board or the other. And then we group, them, I group them then into position groups. All right, this kid's probably going to be a defensive lineman. This kid's probably going to be an outside backer. This kid's probably a high safety. And then out of that group, then we start to build the depth chart. Okay, here's our one our two or three. Now, once we get that defensive side all built, I look at it from the standpoint of how many linemen can we rest? Can I play a kid that's on the right side of the board instead of the left uh, on the offensive line to rest our starting defensive line? Unless the player that's almost always off limits for the defense is just the quarterback for me. Um, And this year, he's going to have to be able to play a little bit for us in order for us to be successful. But uh, that's, that's usually the only kid that is off limits for the defense in the past. So that's, that's – in a nutshell, that's kind of how we break it out. We've only got uh, – we've probably got 52 returning kids. I expect about 30 or so to come up from the middle school. So 80 kids and only about 50 of those, you know, are probably going to play on a Friday night. So it, it gets a little bit, little bit hairy when we think about it that way. <laughs>
0: sure. Sure. Well, how do you guys, so, so my big question is how do you guys practice then? Uh, Obviously, you know, you've kind of mentioned some of the Tony Holler stuff and, and keeping kids, uh, you know, fast and fresh and, and, you know, it can get, I think, difficult at times when you are working those kids on offense and defense. Um, Although, like you said, a lot of times it's needed, in my opinion, when it's, you're really, really good players, or if you have major deficiencies at certain situations. So um, as much as we'd love to all be two platoon, it's not always, not always, you know, feasible. How do you guys work that out in practice?
1: Well, practice-wise, we don't, we don't separate our freshmen. That might be what's unique about the size of our school. Uh, Our freshmen practice with us. We don't send them to the lower half of the field or onto the second field and say, good luck. We'll see you in a year. Uh, when you get a little bit taller and start growing facial hair, uh, we, we, we put two in our staff. So, uh, I've got a staff of nine, typically, uh, five guys coach the defensive side, four or five on the defensive side, and then the rest on the offensive side. And then the first half of practice, we take, say our top 30 guys, and they're going to practice defense first while the lower half, the, the rest of the guys, the freshmen, uh, R- remaining the AOs, for lack of a better term, are practicing offense with the varsity staff. Everybody's a varsity coach, and then uh, midway through we'll flip it. Now our practices break up a little bit differently. You know, obviously we got inside period and a skeleton period, maybe a perimeter, uh, and special teams intermixed in there. Um, but we don't send those guys away. We just one coach is going to be responsible for the defensive line and the defensive line only. That way they're only hearing the verbiage from that coach and he's coaching them the way that he wants them to be when they're seniors or when they're juniors or when they're ready for a Friday night. Um, And in terms of practice, we haven't conditioned, put them on the line and run in six years. You know, we, we just don't do it. We, we go fast. We don't take water breaks. We've got, uh, we're fortunate enough. We had nine managers. And they take water bottles out to every single position group. And if a kid needs water, he gets water. If he doesn't want it from the manager and he wants to go to the water buffalo, then run your butt over there and get you a drink and then run back. And so we try to cut that out and and stack those drills on top of each other to get the conditioning in. Um, What we're gonna try this year, that, you know, the feed the cat system, uh, I went and watched him, listened to him in Andover, I've got the DVD. Uh, What we're gonna try to implement. Is not doing installs on Monday. Mondays are non-varsity day, so they're going to be out at a game, uh, and then you know the 20 kids left. You know I'm going to send out, and they're going to run through plays and run through them at full speed, and then save our install for Tuesday, which would be in, in Tony's world that rest day, and then Wednesday would be a hard day, and then Thursday's your pregame rest, and then Friday's obviously your game day. So that's what we're going to try and do, and then the the pregame issue, and I, it really made me think. We got guys playing both ways, and there were a lot of times on a Thursday where we're not leaving a play. Let's say it's off tackle power, and the guard's just not getting there. The, you know, the fullback's head isn't inside. It just looks terrible. We might run that play 15 times so it's right, and then by the end of the day, you've got a starting fullback or wide receiver that's got, you know, 65 plays under their belt and a walkthrough practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to try to script 15 plays. And we're going to go 15 offensive plays with our starters, 15 defensive plays, and you're off the field. You're done. We're going to save your legs. Um, and that's going to be, you know, that's terrifying in of itself, too, because I'm a little bit old school and, and our kids are tough. Um, when you play football against Emporia High, I'd like to think that you feel like you've been in a fight, win or lose, when it's said and done. Uh, but it's going to be a little bit different way of thinking for me and, and for our staff a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, I I think that's awesome, Coach. I mean, that to me, that's one of the best things that that Coach Holler brings is is it just plants a seed in your mind to have to at least re- reflect on some of these things. Like, well, well, really, wh- why am I doing that? Or you know, and then you saying, well, you know, I, we're we're tough, but at the same time, I don't want my guys, you know, to to be tired going into it. I said, I, I know this. I know the fights I've been in. <laughs> you know, I, I want to be fresh. If I'm tired, I'm going to get my butt kicked. So that's kind of the way I've, I've really started to, to look more at it. And it's like, you know, as bad as I want to maybe get more reps sometimes to me, it's kind of like, I i would rather weigh on the other side of, I would just rather have these guys closer to a hundred percent with all that gas in the tank than them having to go run, you know, six more home run posts because, you know, we we completed four out of six instead of five out of six. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's really forced me to kind of sit back and reflect on what, what do I really feel is important. And when I list, you know, speed and, and being fresh as number one, it makes a lot of my other decisions, I, I feel like, uh, a lot simpler for me.
1: Oh, no doubt, right? You know, what I started and what I visited with our middle school staff about is, you know, and this is what made me think, what did I hate about football growing up? Well, I was always an offensive lineman. I was always heavy. I was always... You know, the guy that they put on the line and you had to run a gasser, a wind sprint, and they're yelling at you because you're slow. Well, no crap, I'm slow. I'm wearing a 50 series number, dude. Uh, It it is what it is. So, you know, I I challenge those guys at at our middle school to say, you know, the things that we hated about football, we probably don't necessarily need to do. You know, we practice, and I was really guilty of this. We'd put in two or three plays for an opponent and practice them all week, and then I didn't run it one time. You know, that, that theory of 80% of your production comes from 20% of your practice. Well, we're going to run what we run, and we're not going to deviate from it. And, you know, if you beat us, you beat us. Uh, but that, that's really what made my, my thought process go. And then I started thinking further. I'd walk away from, we film everything. We film the entire practice. So we get done with an hour and a half practice. I go home watch two hours of film and grade the practice. And I'd walk away from the field going, we're terrible we're the worst team in America. We're not going to win a game. And then I turn on the film going, hey, we're pretty good. So, you know, the, those, those impressions or perceptions, I guess, is uh, really what we're going to work at and keeping our kids fresh and uh, making the game fun. You know, he's right in a lot of ways, too. We're fighting for kids. We're fighting for our sport um, through different various things that are pulling kids away. And uh, I think it's the greatest game known to man. Coach, how, how
0: much, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, you're exactly right. Um, how much time, you know, you get to set it as the head coach. So how much time are you given uh, positions or, or, uh, you know, offense, defense, uh, how much time are you giving them for, for some of these meetings uh, to watch film or do whatever they, el- whatever else they need to go through. Um, you, you know, we also film everything in practice and, and I go home and grade it. And then, but then, Again, maybe you only get fifteen, twenty minutes to to watch it with the kids, so you got to break it down, and they don't have long attention spans for the most part anyways with it, so not that it's a bad thing, but um, always obviously, as an assistant coach, you want more time. How much time are, are, are your kids in meetings uh, before practice, or you guys have them after practice? How do you kind of navigate that
1: well we're probably fairly unique you know we we put everything out on huddle and uh, we, we don't send a whole lot to the kids we, we send them. Uh, off, of get, off of practice, they might get, on a big day that we might have screwed up a bunch, they might get 10 offensive clips, and we'll send it out to them and, and just have a note on there, "Hey, you need to watch this before we get together tomorrow and fix this." And uh, typically they do that. We meet every single day right before practice uh, in the weight room, which is right off our, our field, and that meeting is solely to go over reminders so that We post the practice schedule, but I want to go over it again with them, "Hey. Uh, and it might be a Tuesday. Hey, you know, JV, great win last night. Love the heart you played with. Love the intensity. We need to clean this up. Varsity guys, you know, I hope you looked at the install. This is what we're doing today. We're going to start off with offense first and we're going into special teams and we're going into this period and that period before we flip it. Here's our coaching points today. We need to be fast. We need to be physical, play with great effort, attitude, toughness, character, discipline. Any questions? No, coach. Let's go get it. All right. Two claps. Let's go. And we're out the door. That meeting takes about 15 minutes. We want our kids to. We we trust and We we do track them on Huddle. I want to know who's watching it, um, but we don't sit and and force feed making them watch the film. The ones that want to watch it and want to get better, are going to be the same ones who have eyes on you and eyes on the screen, regardless of where they're at.
2: Yeah, I, to me, I I I've shortened our meetings as well. I'm I'm much along the same lines. Just just for the simple fact that, you know, they're they're coming in gutted from a a full day of school. I mean the the way we have it, we don't have an athletic period. So, you know, they're hitting seven or eight classes. They they lift in the morning. So so to me, then sitting there with the light off and, and watching a ton of film is not gonna be super conducive. So having a very, very concise shortcut up, being able to then have a meeting and then to me, let's go do our learning and stuff on the field. You know, I I just assume, you know, the things we're we're messing up and missing anyway. Hey, focus on, you know, ball drills or you know, maybe it's a release, let's get on the field and go zero period. And, and let's try to fix some of those things because I think most of them are probably going to get more out of doing that on the field and getting that instruction rather than watching themselves do it on film, especially when they, they probably already watched it, you know, the night before anyway, because the kids love to watch themselves on film anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I think part of that was we do that where we start off with a, uh, we just call it pre-practice It's still in our practice schedule But as soon as we break that uh, huddle or break out of that meeting, they're going straight to whichever position coach they're starting with first, and uh, that's where those guys, you know, are making their money. Is you know, you watch the film, coaches, you graded the film, you know where the deficiencies are, so fix the deficiencies, and this is your time, and that's usually when they do it. And uh, you know, I've got a great staff, and and they they take care of that, so it works out pretty smoothly in that in that fact.
0: Coach you know you, you kind of had had alluded to uh, given given obviously your defensive coaches uh, a lot of space and and kind of just getting the cliff notes from them after weekend meetings uh, but said that you're in your offensive offensive meeting a, a lot so what does maybe a weekend look like for you guys on the offensive side uh, game planning and getting ready knowing that uh, like you said you don't want to install a bunch of plays to to never call them uh, but then again I'm sure you want to install some plays if they would work really well against that defense. Where do you guys start uh, on, a, on a weekend when you guys are game planning and, and what's your maybe thought process
1: as you go through that? My poor O-line coach. Coach Tuttle <laughs> my offensive line coach. And, you know, he was a, he's a great coach. He's a big mammoth of a man. He played at Fort Hayes State and Iowa Western Community College. He's a great guy with the kids. But I'm an O-lineman myself. And so I nitpick the O-line. That's probably a major fall to mine, too. Um, but he's, he's really done a great job with them, and that's really where it starts for us is with the offensive line. And our meetings, very pers- we had, we got to answer three questions. How Are we going to run blast or power? How are we going to run counter? And how are we going to run trap? Because if we can't run those three, then the rest of our offense, forget about it. We've got to be able to run power, counter, and trap. And uh, that's something I picked up when we're at Northwest. You know, a lot of the meetings, our our longest meeting on a weekend, on a Sunday is probably three hours. We want to find out what their their fronts are. You know, we want to find the pig and make him squeal. And then uh, how are we going to be able to run a variation of of counter, power, and trap? You know, we ran counter, we probably ran eight different versions of counter this year, a guard tackle counter, a a fullback tackle, a, a guard fullback counter. Uh, just if there was a tight end and a fullback, a tight end and a guard, if there was a way to run it. We could get a, a, an advantage that that way. We sure as heck put it in, and that's where a lot of our our implement, implementation came from. Was how are we going to run these plays? Where well, what's the best way to run these plays? And then how do we protect it? Or what, what are we going to? Are we going to throw an RPO off it? Are we going to bootleg out of it? Um, how are we going to take advantage of what the defense has? Coach,
2: when you guys run counter, are you guys you know, trying to run? And I know we, we did it a, a couple of different ways when I first kind of learned to play. Uh, are you guys, you know, is it trying to still be kind of that downhill, a gap play a lot like power? Or are you more, man, everybody's going to gonna spill this thing and wrong arm it, and, and it turns into kind of more of a, like almost like a counter sweep, you know, some of the ways that, that Nebraska and them had ran is, is that – is that the, the kind of the thinking behind it? That you want it to bounce a little bit or are you still thinking, nope, nope, we're keeping this thing uh, in a gap and we're making sure that this thing doesn't get spilled and wrong arm?
1: We, we want to keep it in a gap. You know, if we're running it from the gun, our, our aiming point is still, you know, we want to try and bend it into A and if it has to bounce, it's going to bounce. Now we did have a counter that we called, we, we called our plays last year by color. So uh, power was green because we wanted to go. We wanted to get that guard going vertical uh counter was brown. I have no idea why we called it brown. We just did. And so we, would, <laughs> we would just Well it might have been because, you know, we had a six foot five offensive tackle that graduated we're on trimester, so in November he graduated and in January he he moved up to Iowa State. And he's a mammoth of a man. And he'd probably end up playing for the clones pretty early. But he ended up with like twelve division one off or something crazy like that. But uh, I think when that kid came running at you, I think people might have dropped the load a little bit and <laughs> might have been where that name came from. Uh, but if we wanted to get on the edge with it, we called Brown Plus. So we would send the fullback, the guard, and the tackle to the front side of the play. We'd counter-step with the back. we typically run it out of 22. And uh, we tried to plus one you with the fullback, and we got the guard and tackle there. You know, that were plus two or three. And uh, that ended up being a pretty good play for us for a while. And that one typically bounce. Um, the rest of them, there were enough box ends or guys trying to squeeze that uh, we we got it up the gut.
2: Yeah, we we taught it the same way. I just think you know there there would be a few times or sometimes that you know you you go into it and maybe you're you're seeing it and and that defensive end. I mean, if he's gonna wrong arm it so hard, we just knew, hey, this week guys, we're gonna, we're gonna take this thing around the edge. And honestly, sometimes it ended up being a, a really good changeup for us. But then again, I mean, I, I I was always leery of, of, you know, when coaches wanted to talk about it, Hey, you well, know, let's, let's bounce counter this week. Anytime you say bounce a gap scheme, I'm like, there's, you know, circuits going off in my head. Like, dude, you never bounce a gap scheme, you know? So I, I still think, yeah, the same way to, to teach it with a, and then, you know, you make the adjustment off of it. To me, that's always the, the easier thing to do, especially if you're running, you know, when you have an athletic tackle that can get all the way around it, or you're running it with your fullback and he's a good athlete too, and and he can kind of lead it up around the edge, you know, I, I always thought too that you know counter can kind of turn into a version of buck sweep or you know pin pull.
1: Yeah, and a lot of times it did look like that for us. We tried not to overcoach it. You know, I, I told the the tailbacks where like I wanted. Okay, here's your on counter. We're going to take dance steps. We're going to step, cross over, plant, come back and this is your aiming point, and then uh, the rest is between you and God. You know, you find the gap. You find your tackle's hip. I'd like you to have a hand on his outside hip so he feels you. And uh, if that guard ends up logging, man, ride the wave and just get us positive yards. That was my message to our backs, and same thing with our guard. Guard, I want you to pull inside out. If that, if that defensive end or, or whatever crashes hard, log him. Don't overthink it. You know, if you get him kicked out, perfect. We'll turn up inside of you. But if you cannot, you crush him down and tackle, you just read the block. You know, we're going to, when you pull, you're going to be a wingman. You need to be a man removed uh, wide. And that way, if there's trash coming through, you're still clean and we got a chance for one player to hit. And so sometimes it would bounce, but I tried not to overcoach that. I want kids to go out and have some freedom and make plays and, and be athletes and have a little fun with the game. What were some things
2: then you did coach or what was like your best? You know, you talk about being able to, to protect the player, you know, have some things off. What do you guys feel like were, were kind of some of your best curveballs and changeups you'd throw, you know, with your, your gap
1: schemes? Uh, naked boot. You know, we would run counter pass with no protection. We'd pull guard and tackle to the front side and fake the counter and run that quarterback naked out the back side with fullback to the flat, uh, post corner by the X and a drag by our tight end. And it, that thing's open all the time especially with you know too hard flow and guard tackle pull and we see so many chase and or you know chase replace teams chase great teams that 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 tight or that uh, linebacker by the time he replaces that defensive end he's already seen that it's passed and he's trying to get into a drop and tight ends wide open and you know we're fortunate enough we got a tight end returning for us at six five uh runs fairly well And uh, he's got soft hands, great basketball player. And so we hit him a lot. And if we could get it to the fullback, our first look was to the fullback. And we tell the quarterback, snap your head around because you are exposed. And if you got to flip your hips and get it out, flip your hips and get it out. Uh, First look fullback, second look tight end, and then last look is deep. That was a great one. And then out of the gun, we love to throw the bubbles. We just call it one, two, or three is how we tag it based off number of the receiver from the sideline end. So if we were, if we were running Brown one, number one receiver was stepping back Two receiver was running at his toes to block for him. And then we were going to read the force player, or we were going to read the, the end for chase. If he chased the counter, we'd pull it and attack force. And if force, you know, ran with two, it's yours take off. If force sat or did anything different, throw it out there to number one, and let's get what we can get. So we really liked that out of, Protecting uh, our counter scheme, protecting our, our power scheme. You know, the pre- best play for us this year was uh, power read. Of all things, it was our quarterback this year was a lot different than one we had in the years past. Uh, big, powerful runner had played fullback the year before, and he wasn't going to beat you at the edge, but he would run over the top of you. So if he pulled it, he was getting vertical, and he didn't care what was in front of him. It was going to be a, a, uh, it was going to be a major, major collision. And that was the best way that we protected those two plays.
0: What did you teach your pulling guard off of power read? Uh, is he reading the end as well? Or are you telling him cram it up in A and, and don't worry about the, the inside linebacker if, if we hand it um, on the sweep part of the power read?
1: We just told him we called it green read, so he was running green. You know, you're going to do the exact same thing. We tried to make as much of our scheme the same as possible. That way we could tag a bunch of different stuff for backs and give you a bunch to prepare for. So we just said, hey, buddy, you're running power. Just run power. You know, we we also read the backer out of power on that. We just call it, we called it green base. And that uh, told our tight end to uh, block base or our tackle to block base instead of gapping it out. And uh, we read the backer in that case. And our guard still pulled around and tried to get vertical.
2: Love you talking about uh, counter boot. That was uh, you. You know, you mentioned Coach Trimble, and I'd mentioned Coach Trimble. That was always one of his favorite plays. And I, even a couple times, I'm like, "Well, Coach, we don't really run that much counter." And he's like, "Doesn't matter." And that's what. Yep. That's
0: what I've always well, heard about him. He's always hey. said, "You don't have to run counter to run counter boot." Yep, you know,
2: he'd say. Yes, he said every time. A
1: without a doubt, I've ran it on the first play of the game before, and it's been wide open. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess there's no setting that up, but you know, whatever. Uh-huh. We'll just go ahead and take it. They're going to get it. It's a gift, I guess. So, you know, but that's also if you run counter really well and you don't run counter boot a whole lot, you know, they're going to scheme you to take away counter, and that's a great time to run it.
2: Yeah, it was hilarious, you know, because I didn't, of course, you know, younger coach, like, yeah, whatever, we'll see. I remember one game we put it in, and, of course, it was against Union, and they got, you know, linebackers that just fly. As soon as they see the guard move, by God, fullback's wide open in the flat. There you go. So he'd say every time, oh, hey, coach, you want a free eight, free eight yards, just just run counter boot, throw it to the fullback.
1: All right. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, running the, the trap, fullback trap, um, I only run it one way. My opponents are going to hear this and i will be ready to load up against the trap, but we only run it to the right. And my assistants go, coach, we need to run this left. I go, for what? Well, we got to be able to run it both ways. No, we don't. We're only running it to the right. That's the only way we're running it. And we've, for six years now, Fullback trap, we have only run to the right. Um, picked that up at Northwest also with Coach Sharks. He couldn't tell me why he didn't want to run it to the left. He just didn't want to do it. Say, Weston, <laughs> let's run trap. Let's, 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 let's fancy some things up here. Let's run trap to the left. They'll never expect, nope, we're running it to the right. All right, great, let's run it to the right. And, you know, it's such a quick hitter, and our fullbacks stay in the, stay in the crease pretty well, and, and we had some success with it.
2: I uh, uh Dave, Dave Alexander, you know uh, Harper's coach, he he says all the same things with the the Steelers for the longest time would run power just to the right and would run counter just to the left. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, right, you know. And then after a while, I start watching, like, by God, they do! Holy cow, they only run counter to the left and they only run power to the right.
1: There we go. All right. Gus Malzahn says the same thing, but I've never sat down to chart his film enough to to know if he's lying or not. <laughs> but he, he swears by the same thing. They're going to run power one way and counter the other, and it's up to you to stop them. You know they're coming.
0: Yep, that's exactly right. Well, coach kind of rolling up on an hour now. Uh but but the thing I always like to ask guys before we let them go is uh when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Uh
1: how do they how do they step? How do they get off the ball? Where is their pad level? You know, the best offensive lines I see are like great choreographed dance teams. They're stepping together. They're all at the same time. Their pad level's low. And then ultimately, are they physical? Physical teams, you know, win football games. And that's when I'm looking at an offensive line, that's what I want to see, uh, how physical is your, is, are your players.
2: Coach, man, it's been a blast. You know, love being able to sit and and talk some gap scheme about you and reminisce about, you know, some of the the Coach Trim days. And uh, you got a couple of new fans for uh, Emporia Football. Keep it up, man, and we'll be excited to see how you guys keep progressing, dude.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, guys. It was an honor to speak with you. Love watching or listening to the show each week.